As you know, when we began this series in the book of Isaiah, my aim was to, to gain a big picture overview. And so where possible, we focused on the bigger uh, picture that is before us and where it was necessary, we slowed down to look at uh, small details. And I find that there is so much going on in this chapter. Lord willing, I intend to come back to this chapter next week. And so there is going to be much that I leave out from this chapter that, that may leave you wondering, well, why didn't Pastor can talk about that? Uh, Lord willing, we'll come to that next week. Um, did you know that there is an interesting medical condition called pica? Uh, pica is a, is a medical condition. It's considered an eating disorder. And people who have this condition compulsively eat the things that are not food and the things that have no nutritional value. So people who suffer from pica may eat dirt. They may eat clay. Uh, they may eat ashes, hair. And people who suffer from this affliction may sometimes even eat flakes of paint pieces of metal and broken shards of glass. Can you imagine? Not only to eat the things that add nothing to your body, but to have a compulsion that is driving you to consume the things that will poison and kill you. And as you can imagine, this is a very serious condition that does a lot of harm to the body. And what's interesting is that that is also how God describes idolatry. So if you remember back in chapter 44, uh, in verse 21, the Lord was instructing the people of Israel about their foolish idolatry. This is what the Lord said. He, the idolater, he feeds on ashes, a deluded heart, has led him astray. You know, that's what idolatry is. Idolatry is spending gold and silver to eat ashes, to be driven by a compulsion for the things that not only do you no favor, but to be driven by a compulsion for the things that will ultimately harm and kill you. And like water naturally flows downhill, dying people, lost people, people who are alienated from God, they compulsively crave the things that neither nourish nor satisfy. And that is why our passage today is such a stark contrast while the idolaters are driven by a compulsion for the things that neither nourish nor satisfy, God invites his people to a sumptuous banquet. And so the first thing here is the Lord's invitation, and he says, come to the feast, come to the feast. Now, if you remember what we've been reflecting upon these past few weeks, uh, it's really not an exaggeration to say that all of Isaiah, 
from starting chapter 1 was leading up to chapter 53. Because all the heartache and all the ruin that come that came from Israel's sin meet their end in the servant of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 53. Because in chapter 53, we read that Jesus, the suffering servant of the Lord, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So all of Israel's sins, the sins that have brought upon Israel ruin and destruction, those sins meet their end. And in Jesus, sin is itself ruined. And in Jesus, sin is itself put to death. And that is why the very next chapter, chapter 54, we heard this wonderful and marvelous invitation in chapter 54, verse 1. Sing, O barren one. You see, Zion was like the, the woman who had become a widow in her youth. No hope left. Nothing to look forward to. Knowing only disgrace and humiliation and sorrow. But the grace of God has broken through and the Lord says, Sing, O barren one. And then in verse 4, we also read, Fear not. Fear not. But of course, how can one chapter, how can one chapter exhaust the riches of what Jesus has accomplished through his death? And resurrection. And that is why this chapter, chapter 55, continues to savor the blessings that we receive in Christ. And so we hear, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. This passage used to puzzle me so much. How do you buy anything without money? It just didn't make any sense when I read, come, he who has no money, come buy and eat. And if you have no money, with what could you buy anything? But of course, the point that is being made here is this, the blessings that come to us freely are not cheap blessings. And if these blessings come to us freely, it is only because that somebody else has paid the price. And so when Isaiah says, come uh, without money and without, uh, buy wine and milk without money and without price, that is meant to communicate to us the things that you will receive are free, but they are not cheap. They will cost you nothing, but it does not mean that it is worthless. You receive it free because God himself has made a payment. And of course, that's exactly what Jesus did in his suffering and death. And the question to ask at this point is, what exactly did he purchase? What exactly did he purchase? Come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You know, water is one of those essential necessities of life. 
Without water, we cannot survive. So that's what the Lord is saying. Whatever that thing without which you cannot survive, I give to you. But it's also, of course, a symbolic expression, isn't it? The thing that fills our heart with thirst, that drives us, that pulls us and pushes us, that thing without which we cannot survive, the Lord says, I give to you. But if you read on, you realize that God does not just give us the bare minimum, the bare necessity of life, but He says, Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. You see, God has purchased for us not just the bare minimum without which we cannot survive, but He has purchased for us the rich and abundant blessings for the utter satisfaction of our souls. And that is why the Lord says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Or can I put it to you this way? Don't you see that you have pica? Don't you see you have spiritual eating disorder? You are driven by a compulsion with a craving to eat the things that will not satisfy you, will not nourish you, and you spend your money and you spend your life for that which is going to kill you. Why are you doing that? Because what can truly nourish our souls and what can truly satisfy our hunger Only the blessings we receive freely through Jesus when Jesus becomes our Redeemer and our Lord. And isn't it interesting to the world, uh, knowing Jesus as the only Savior. You know, the world is fine as long as you say, you know, Jesus, very respectable, like many other great human leaders of the past. Jesus, very inspirational, like many other inspirational people throughout history. As long as you say that the world will be fine with you, but as soon as you say, Jesus, the only Savior, the peerless and matchless Lord and King, the one, the only one before whom we have to do, as as soon as you say that, the world thinks, That is a tremendous loss, lunacy. But what the Lord says is that it is actually a great gain. Because when Jesus becomes our only Savior and our matchless and peerless Lord, God is actually inviting us to a feast. So that's the first thing we see in this chapter. And the second thing, the Lord who invites us to the feast says, come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. And that's really important because all this talk about blessings can sometimes lead us to separate the blessings from the God who blesses. You know, actually, that's 
in essence, what idolatry is. Modern people today, we are not likely to fall down the idols of the ancient ages, uh, figures made out of wood and stone and so on and so forth. We're too sophisticated for things like that. But you know, what, what the ancient people tried to accomplish through their simplistic ways, people still do and practice the same things because idolatry is essentially separating the blessings from the God who blesses and then desiring the blessings over God. That's idolatry. We separate the blessings from God, the one who blesses. And having done that, we seek and love the blessings over God. And we give and spend our lives away for those blessings. And that is why in order to break free from idolatry, we need to make two perspective adjustments. First, we need to recognize that no blessings remain blessings when they are separated from God. No blessing remains blessing when they are separated and divorced from God. So that's the first thing we need to recognize. Secondly, it's not so much that we are supposed to enjoy and love the blessings in God. Now, that is a perfectly valid point, a point that perhaps other passages in the Bible uh, will make. But the point here is not so much that we are supposed to love the blessings in God, but rather that God is himself our blessing and God is himself our banquet. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Incline your ear and come to me. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. Let me give you a very well-known example. You know how the Roman Catholics venerate the saints. Why? Because they have separated the blessing of grace from God. And once they have separated the blessing from God, they feel compelled to find it in different places. They can let go of the blessing, but they've let go of the God from whom the blessings flow. And that's what happens. When you separate the blessings from the Lord and you love the blessings over the Lord. But listen here. God says, listen diligently to, to me. Incline your ear, come to me. Because God calls his people to himself. There is no blessing except himself. There is no banquet except God himself. And what we need to recognize is that Jesus' ministry accomplishes for us the very right to possess and to enjoy God 
himself. We possess God. Now, that's a rather shocking word to use in this connection. But the more I think about it, it seems to me that that is the only word that will do. Because once we gain God in Christ, He is ours and we will never lose Him. We possess Him. And we enjoy Him. You know, it's the idols of the world that say that following God is about as enjoyable as going to a funeral. Oh, you know what I mean, don't you? That's the prevailing attitude of the world, isn't it? You know, you all know where, where I live, and every Sunday morning I see the stream of cars going to Pachanga casinos, and I drive the opposite way to come to church. I mean, what would they think of the idea of going to church on Sunday mornings? I mean, it would appear to them about as fun as going to a funeral. But not just them, but that's the attitude of the world. But can I put it this way? When the Bible talks about his people coming to God, the Bible always puts it in such a way to let us know that's God in God's presence. That's where the fun is. If you remember in the Old Testament, when people appear before God to offer him sacrifices, they never walk away from the sacrifice unless they first sit down and have a meal with God. They have a feast with God first. They bring their sacrifices and they sit down for a good meal. Why? Because worship should never be a drab and boring thing. And God doesn't send his worshipers away without having fellowship with him. And when you read the New Testament, you realize that the, the gathering of the Christians is always uh, portrayed and depicted as Christians gathering at the marriage feast of the Lamb. Now, that's a huge difference, isn't it? The world thinks that all the fun, all the party, all the excitement is running away from the Lord. But the Lord says the feast, joy, are found in His presence. Or to put it again, um, I mean, I don't want to wear out the expression, but God rescues people who have spiritual eating disorder and He invites them to a sumptuous feast. That's what God does. And this is God's rich food. Verse 3. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Uh, Psalm 89 is the background for that verse. And in Psalm 89, we, we see a description of God's sure love for David. And in Psalm 89, God's sure love for David is spelled out in terms of eternal kingdom and a universal reign of David. God promised to David a kingdom that will endure and that he will reign over all. 
And as you know, God fulfilled the promise in the Son of David, in Jesus. And so God's sure love for David was fulfilled and made real in Jesus when he received an eternal kingdom and a universal reign. And Jesus' eternal kingdom has a very unique feature. It is a kingdom of grace. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see, Christ rules over us with grace and mercy. That's God's rich food and sumptuous feast that you and I, the weariness of our struggle against sin, in our shame, in our sorrow and regret, we come to God in Jesus Christ and what we receive is grace and what we receive is mercy. And that feature of the kingdom of Christ will never change. Whether we come to him today, tomorrow, or in eternity in the future, that eternal kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of grace and mercy. And how enriching is that for our souls? And not only so, look at verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not as your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is a very well-known passage. This is a very beloved passage, understandably so, because power, power that is wielded without mercy is tyranny. But God's power God's power carries to completion his plan of grace and mercy because his kingdom and his eternal reign are of grace and mercy. And before such a God, we no longer have to ask why with pain in our hearts. You know, that's what we are afraid of sometimes. In life's dark experiences, we find our hearts becoming bitter. And we want to protest why, because what we are afraid of is that God, the Almighty, the powerful God, He uses His power with no regard for us. He doesn't care what happens to us. And that's why we, we feel ourselves becoming embittered and with pain we want to say, why? But how high is God's ways? His ways are as high as the heavens are above the earth. And his thoughts are not like our thoughts. That is to say, we might not understand much that God is doing in our lives. But once we understand that Jesus reigns over us with grace and mercy, then we no longer need to cry why with pain in our hearts 
because we know that even though we might not understand all that God is doing in our lives, one thing that we can be sure of, He is working out His purpose of grace and mercy. And so we can worship Him. We can worship Him even when the blessings that we have longed for are no longer in our grasp. And the only thing that we have left is God. Because God, God is forever in our grasp. And I think in many ways, that's what every affliction is supposed to teach us. In every affliction, we experience the loss of something. The loss of something that we have considered a blessing. In every affliction, we learn to let go and to deal with the sorrow of losing the thing that we have valued so much. And in such moments, do you find your heart embittered, crying out to God in pain, why? How dare you? Don't you care about me? Or could you worship him? And we are meant to worship him and say, even though the blessings that that I have loved and longed for are no longer mine to hold, I have something better. I have God. And I have him forever. That's the rich food. That's the sumptuous feast that the Lord has prepared for us. When our souls in the hardships of life, when our souls are impoverished, when we are suffering and we are struggling and we are longing, we get to sit at the table and feast with God. So come to the feast, which is really his invitation saying, come to the Lord. And thirdly, as a way of an application, come to the promises. Come to the promises. Your body cannot survive without good nourishment. Same with our souls. When we indulge our souls with a steady diet of rubbish and poison, Our souls will soon shrivel up and die. That's why it is so important what we take in into our heart, what we allow ourselves to be influenced by, what we listen to, what we believe. Because just as the body cannot survive without good nourishment, our souls cannot survive without good nourishment. And notice how God wants us to nourish our souls. It's with his word. So verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. 
the Word of God. That's what we find when we sit at the feast with the Lord. That is to say, do not seek for nourishment for your souls where God has not said He will feed us. If you are a Christian, you have no business trying to figure out what your day will be like by looking at horoscopes. I mean, do you get that? If you are a Christian, you have no business trying to find out what's right and wrong by reading Facebook posts. That's not where God has promised to nourish you. It's the Word, the promises. And so we need to seek our soul's strength and joy in God's Word and promises. And sadly, we think so lightly of the Word, and we think so lightly of the promises. But God says, it will not return to me empty. It will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The Word of God, it is power above all earthly powers. And you do not need to spend your gold and silver to find it. In fact, it costs you precisely nothing to read and to hear God's word and hold on to his promises. Why? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. The word and the promise, the food for our souls the rich feast God has prepared for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for inviting us to hear your word and to feast on your promises. And as we have heard and as we have received in our hearts, we thank you also that you have prepared the table before us, the bread and the cup, which again, Make us partakers of your word and your promises. And we pray that you would bless us now. That the word that we have heard and the word that we will receive in the form of the bread and the cup will nourish our souls and make us strong and make us well before you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.